Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors, the tax depreciation experts. Now, today we're chatting with special guest Ian Lynch. Now, Ian is a property investor, but that's not really the purpose of today. He's actually the CEO of Pacific Link Housing, and Pacific Link Housing are a social housing provider. And we have a chat to him about the important work they do as a registered charity and not for profit. But there's also an opportunity for investors. They actually have a social enterprise real estate agency that private landlords can utilize. And of course, the profits go back to the charity itself, providing some great work within the community. There's also some opportunities for developers in working with companies like Pacific Link as well. So Ian shares some fantastic backgrounds in how property investors and developers can give back to communities by the provision of social housing. It's an awesome interview with Ian, and here he is now. Ian Lynch, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thank you. Now, Ian, we will kick off our interview today with a who you are and what you specialise in. Yes, so uh, name's Ian Lynch. Um, I'm the CEO of Pacific Link Housing, which is a not-for-profit and also a registered charity on the central coast of New South Wales. Um, Pacific Link specialises in in residential property and, and more specifically, I guess, uh, tenancy management, um, the maintenance, property maintenance, and also development and construction of um, social and affordable housing. Beautiful. Now, we're going to dive into the nuts and bolts of that and certainly share why what you do is of interest to property investors specifically as well. But before we do, what were the posters on the bedroom wall growing up? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was a, I was a teenager of the nineties, um, and and growing up on the central coast too. So uh, the ocean was very popular for teenage boys, and and bodyboarding was a massive uh, thing to be into at the time, which is effectively surfing but lying down on a on a boogie board. Um, mm-hmm. But it was hugely popular at the time. So the bedroom walls were covered with pictures of waves and, and bodyboarders doing their tricks in the in the air and, and that sort of thing. Um, and that yeah, that filled up the the space on my bedroom walls. I love it. I'm old enough to remember VHS bodyboarding tapes. Yes. Um, <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was a big deal on the coast. Yeah. What about property? How did you first get started in property and what was your first investment? Uh, I got started in property uh, when I was in my mid-20s, I guess. Um, I guess the way I was thinking, the the way I got started in property was through peanut butter sandwiches. Um, Right. You're going to have to explain that. So you you need to, to, to get started in any investment. You need to have a surplus of whatever your income is. And um, to build that surplus, the, the leaner you can live, the, the more surplus you can build up to start that down that path. And, and one way um, I've often said to people, I think I ate peanut butter sandwiches 
while my colleagues were, you know, going out and buying their lunch at $10 a pop, I would have my peanut butter sandwich and, and think, well, I, I know that I'm building towards something. And, and I think that's really how I uh, was able to get started in a, at a young age is a de- determination um, and aspiration. That's a good story of sort of pleasure delaying and and discipline and I think something that a lot of property investors will resonate with is people sort of running off doing their gap year in style or buying a new car you sort of have to have to live with that uh, privation in the in the beginning to to really go after it but he's hoping the results pay off for everybody later in life I'm sure they will Ian, you're here to talk about social housing and the important service organisations like yours provide, but there's also opportunities for investors and landlords as well as part of what you do. But I want to talk a little bit about your background. So you went to school uh, as an accountant at at uni. Were you always wanting to be a bean counter? (laughs) Definitely not. Um, And it's not a very cool thing for a um, young young guy to be wanting to get into I actually did um landscaping and and for for work experience in high school I I did a stint with a landscaping company and also in a landscape architect's office so I was thinking that that was the route I was going down Um, by the time I finished high school I'd enrolled instead into a degree a, a bachelor of management and thinking I was going to be majoring in marketing or tourism. Um, and by the time I finished that exact degree, I had instead majored in accounting. Um, and it's just, I guess, the path that we turn, the people you meet. Um, I was doing the first year uni and there's a couple of core subjects for the Bachelor of Management, which is effectively a Bachelor of Business and Accounting 101 was one of those core subjects. And there was a lec- the lecturer there um, just, I guess, explained the importance um, of financial literacy in, in most business avenues and the avenues that I wanted to go down and, and how it's important effectively in whatever role you were into and one thing led to another and I guess uh, debits and credits um there there was a marriage there and and (laughs) I liked it and I kept kept going Look, you don't you don't have to apologise for for your profession as a as a quantities fair, especially someone that's uh, so engrossed in tax legislation. Um, I completely understand. It's uh, it's not a cool thing to explain at barbecues. <laughs> what about um, with your property investing? You talked about this the the peanut butter launching your investing career, but you were actually a rent vester before it was cool. It's obviously a it's a it's its own term now at the moment. But what made you get interested in in property? property investing and, and deciding to rent vest. Yeah, so so maybe maybe I was the one that made rent vesting cool. What you I, could have been. <laughs> um, I guess so during uni and um, I while I was at uni, I was doing an accounting cadetship at a, a local accounting firm as well. Um, and through uni and through that job just could I learnt about and could see the benefits of compound interest and the way that money could work off itself and multiply um so I was doing tax returns for clients and calculating 
the capital gains tax that was resulting from the sale of an investment property or or shares or and things like that. So I started to appreciate what that could do, even off small amounts. Um, so I started having a dabble in shares when I was nineteen and twenty, and you know would save up and go in with a huge purchase of $800 worth of AGL shares or something like that. And um, I, I guess I had an appreciation of it and had had some mixed results. Um, and by the time uh, I was eating my peanut butter sandwiches, wanting to go on to bigger and better things, it was probably a combination of the GFC and the share market tanking. Um, you know, I had a, a reasonable job in Sydney. I was I was renting an apartment, well, uh, sharing a flat in in Sydney. I knew I there's no way I was going to be able to buy in Sydney, but I absolutely wanted to be living down there and, and living the good life as a young twenty something. Um, so I thought, well, I'll I'll purchase a property where I can afford to purchase, and I'll rent where I can where I want to live and but can't afford. Um, so it was, yeah, I guess that just that combination of the, the different markets, um, it was probably good timing to be bowing out of the share market and getting into the property market at those times too. So maybe that was a bit of luck. Um, and yeah, so set my sights on, on getting into the property market, saved up for a, a deposit um, and and bought in and probably in hindsight was a bit gung-ho and bought in without too much research or anything and bought into an area that I knew rather than an area that was, um, you know, had the, the insights and the smarts. Um, but e- either way, it ended up doing pretty well. Um, so yeah, I guess that's that's how I got into it. Um, so yeah, and it's worked out well. Yeah, beautiful. I guess you know those are those are typical investor things we buy with the familiarity, and and perhaps when we look back at the first one, there's not as much research as we like, but it's it just goes to show that it can be a, a reasonable investment, and and time will look after you. What about um, with with your career? So you you obviously. Um, began as an accountant uh, and prior to becoming the uh, in the finance department and CEO of, of Pacific Link, you had a pretty high-flying finance job by the look of it. What made you want to move into the social enterprise world? I, I assume uh, the uh, the decor is less attractive and the salary's meagre. Yeah, um, that is all true and it, it was a combination <laughs> of things I guess. Um, I was working at the time for a global IT consulting firm which was uh, well large. It was listed on the NASDAQ, um, had offices all around the world. Um, but so I worked in the Australian entity. Um, there was a really great team in Australia but in terms of the finance side of things I was the only finance person in Australia and I was supported by a shared service centre, so a, a combined finance service um, finance team that was based in Poland. So I had uh, accounts payable and receivable and, and management account and et cetera, all based in Poland. So 
I guess there was um, just by nature of that large organisation, which is never a path I wanted to go down. I was always previously working in smaller privately owned or companies like that. Um, there was just that heart missing. Um, in IT consulting is pretty dry. You're just billing people's time. Um, so I ended up actually winding up the Australian company. They, they weren't doing too well globally um, and they decided to close down the Australian operation, which which was my role. So I was the last man standing, closing down bank accounts and things. Um, and it was the timing of that. I'd moved back up. I was married by that time and I'd moved back up to the Central Coast with um, now a young family um, and was looking around for work locally. And this role came up with Pacific Link, which that the role that I joined Pacific Link um, was the CFO role. Um, so it was a, you know, a big, good and challenging role close to home and, and the benefit of being able to work in the community that I grew up in and, and be working for an organisation that makes a really big difference to that community was really attractive. Um, so I, yeah, I was full steam ahead and, and after a couple of months I knew I wasn't going to be going anywhere quickly. I was really enjoying it um, it's transpired to result in me now being the CEO um, a couple of years later. Um, oh. Yeah, so it's, um, it's just that community factor, I guess, and, and very connected in the local community, being a, a not-for-profit. Um, all not-for-profits are very connected and involved and, and immersed in the local community, and I really like that aspect as well. Yeah, and, and I guess that's the real motivation for wanting to get you on as well is the, is the good work that, that you do within the community. And, of course, as I mentioned or perhaps teased in the beginning, the opportunities for investors as well. But can you give us a bit of an insight into what Pacific Link actually is and does? Yeah, so... Uh, so we're, we're what's called a Tier 1 community housing provider. Um, so we're a not-for-profit entity. Um, we're a registered charity. Uh, we are regulated um, and, and provide annual compliance returns, etc., into the a national regulator and also to um, state government departments that we manage assets for. Um, and I guess there's a couple of, well, more than a couple of pillars to the organisation. Um, so we we manage over 1,100 properties across a footprint that spans the Central Coast, Lake Macquarie, Newcastle and the Hunter. Um, so so one, one pillar is that we're tenancy managers um, managing those properties. Those properties are tenanted by either social housing tenants or affordable housing tenants and those properties that we're managing are either owned by Pacific Link ourselves, they might be owned by state government or they also might be owned by private landlords. Um, so that's that's one pillar. Another pillar is where we're asset managers. Um, so those properties that we manage on behalf of government and also the ones that we own, we we obviously do responsive maintenance, but more importantly, we do long-term life cycle um, maintenance. 
um, and there's quite a skill to that in, in effectively and efficiently managing a sizable portfolio like that on a long-term basis. Um, there's the charitable side to the organisation. Um, so we provide wraparound services uh, or programs that are specifically aimed at uh, improving the lives of our tenants. Um, they're aimed at education, opportunity and wellbeing. Um, and some examples of those are a learner driver program or a scholarship program, etc. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that that's the 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 feel good aspect. Um, we're also property developers, so we um, construct, develop, and retain social and affordable housing out of our own pockets or or with grant funding that we might apply for through tender processes. Um, and lastly, we've got a, a real estate agency that is owned by Pacific Link and it operates um, and is out there in the public market for any any person to use. So it's a bit of a span, I guess, of operations and it definitely keeps us busy. It's... Um it certainly is, and I want to jump into the the property management side of it. But before we we go down that path, can you share some stats on the current state of play with respect to social housing in Australia? Yeah, it's um, it's ever growing. I guess the um, the homelessness agencies um, generally quote a figure of around a hundred thousand people being homeless in Australia at any point in time, um, which, you know, you hear figures like that, I, I think, anyway, and it sort of goes in one ear and out the other. But if you think about that another way, that's one person in every 200 people. So um, wow. that, yeah, you might think about that. Okay, so in my year at school, for example, maybe there was 200 people. So one of those people was currently homeless on average. Um, and it's it's certainly, um, it, there's certain demographics of people who are more prone to homelessness. Um, and that is, that is obviously something that governments are focusing on and trying to address. Um, another demonstration, I guess, of the need for housing in in all regions, um, but this status is from our region particularly. Um, only five point five percent of all properties that are advertised in the market are considered affordable for people who are on so households that are on um, government income support payments. And that would be a, a metric based on the um, their income exactly. and the percentage of housing costs, like over 40% of the housing cost uh, for their income, something like that? Yep, exactly right. So, so what that tells us is that um, without the creation of further um, affordable housing, um, you know, people just do get priced out of the private market. And if there is no specifically created affordable housing that is there 
um, on sort of a build-to-rent basis, that that results in homelessness, and, and that's that's that cyclical issue. Typically, what sort of background or situations are your your current tenants in when they apply for housing? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. It could be anything, to be honest. Um, uh, certainly, I would say the most common circumstance of, of a tenant before they come become a tenant of Pacific Link, um, the most common situation would be that they're living with family or friends. Um, so that that's as a result of um, social housing having a 10-year wait list. Um, so if, if you or I were to apply and, and get approved on the social housing wait list today, we're, there's every chance we'd be waiting for a property to be offered to us for 10 years. So in that, in the interim, people generally uh, are couch surfing on mum and dad's couch or in the spare bedroom of the brother's house or whatever it might be. Um, and the tenants can come from all walks of life. Um, it could be somebody who's been forced from the workforce because of an injury or sickness and, and no longer has that income. Um, somebody who's permanently unable to earn income due to disability or, or some such thing uh, like that. Um, it could be a mum and kids who've escaped a domestic violence situation. Um, we have a lot of elderly tenants who who have no super and, and living off the pension doesn't um, generally mean that you can afford much in the way of housing um, mm. and those those people are eligible for social housing. So it's really all walks of life and, and all sorts of everyday people. Let's talk about how property uh, investors and property professionals can be of assistance and, of course, benefit uh, as well. So, for example, landlords are able to to sign agreements with organisations such as yours. How how does that work? Yeah, so community housing providers um, around the country, um, and it's a state-by-state case, they generally receive some funding to go off and rent properties from private owners, and that's to increase the supply of affordable properties. Um, so in New South Wales, for example, there's a, a program called a, a leasehold program and a community housing provider receives state government funding um, that will partly go towards and, and, and enables the housing provider to go and pay market rates of rent to a private um, residential property owner. Um, The housing provider head leases that property and and subleases that to a social housing tenant. Um, And there's there's other schemes obviously as well. And a big one a couple of years back 
was the NRAS scheme under the Rudd government. It was relating to the fallout of the GFC. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's uh, the, the, the leasehold program is, is the main um, way in which we interact with everyday property investors. And you mentioned that organisations like Pacific Link, and of course, there's there's versions of Pacific Link uh, state by state. You actually become uh, you actually sign the head lease. So I guess that's a question that property investors would have. The stereotype would be that someone's going to be trashing the property. Um, is that something that you 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 observe either as a, a concern from potential private landlords or you actually observe as happening within your housing stock? Yeah, it, it can absolutely happen. Um, make no mistakes about that. And, and likewise, it can absolutely happen in the private market with private tenants yeah. and every real estate agency will will be able to um, tell some stories. Um, we... we when we actually recruit for our tenancy managers, we often get applicants coming from um, real estate agencies who've had enough of the private market. And we ask them, um, you know, to, to basically test resilience. You know, what's your, the, the, an example of your worst vacate that you've had to do. And often those stories are worse than anything that we've experienced. Um, but no doubt the our tenants tend to be hard wearing on the properties um, and that can be due to all sorts of things. It could be the fact that there's there's kids in the property. It could be the fact that um, the person might have some um, might have some disability issues um, or or mental health issues. So we we specifically look for properties that uh, will be durable and hard wearing when we're renting them from the private market. When it comes to developers, what are the benefits of a developer having an involvement with Pacific Link or similar organisations? Um. I guess certainly, um, and, and certainly the way uh, state governments are heading, they're encouraging partnerships. So tender applications might come out from state governments and, and uh, the um, might be only a community housing provider that's eligible to tender, but it will encourage partnerships with private developers to produce an outcome. Um, mm -hmm. And they can be attractive for developers. Uh, there's also opportunities through through the leasehold program to um, work with a community housing provider, um, enter into an arrangement whereby, if, and particularly so, um, if the developer is looking to build and retain that development, um, the housing provider may be able to enter into a longer term lease and provide that security which can also help with financing the development um, um, and at that stage I guess work with the housing provider and, and you know fitting out the property in a certain way and that might be in relation to the flooring or the bench top or the kitchen or things like that on the basis of a entering into a longer term lease um, and they can be win-win 
um, scenarios for all parties involved. It's a, a win for the developer who's got a, a long-term tenancy um, and surety and, and no uh, rental risk, risk, for example. It's a win for the housing provider because we've actually got stock from, from a, you know, hopefully someone that you're building a relationship with and certainty and long-term security for your tenant and the tenant is uh, able to move into a, a quality and a newer house um, instead of a, a, a run-down old, older-style house that we generally need to pick up because of the cap on the rentals that we can pay. Yeah, and uh, it's built to your specifications and everything like that as well, I guess. Exactly. I want to I ask you about the social enterprise agency that falls under your banner. So that's key to Realty. What, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so we created key to Realty about a year and a half ago. Um, uh, it's It's established as a pure social enterprise. So it's a wholly owned subsidiary of Pacific Link Housing, uh, which is a registered charity. Key2's um, profits by nature go directly to Pacific Link and, and we've earmarked them to specifically go to those tenant programs that I talked about, such as learner driver programs or um, tenant scholarship programs or health and wellbeing programs. Um, so it's it's a valid um, option for everyday private landlords um, as an alternative real estate choice. And and I've used an example before. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the industry super fund adverts that mm-hmm. advertise that they've got the same fees, the same returns, and the only difference is they're run to benefit members. In, in Key2's case, it's it's similar that they're a property management agency with the same fees, the same expertise. The only difference is that Key2 is owned by a charity and distributes its properties, its profits to to a good cause. Um, so, so, sorry. You're right, carry on. So when it comes to Key2 Realty, obviously they, they manage your large portfolio of, of, of social housing, but it's also open for private landlords to just use them as their property manager. Is it comparable to a, I don't want to mention the big names, but we can all think of the big real estate firms that have property management businesses. Is it just really, from, from the perspective of the investor, is it just run in a similar way? Yeah, it absolutely is. So it's... Um it's, it uses the same property management software, for example, that the, the franchises use. We advertise their landlord's property on realestate.com and, and run open houses in, in exactly the same way, charge the same fees. We've got experienced guys um, in there running the show. Um, the I guess the, it, it's got some unique differences that in my view are, are probably better and maybe I'm a bit biased um, but it, it, there's no sales um, um, within it and that's not 100% unique but they're purely focused and specialised in the, the property management side of, of the investment property. They, they also by nature and through the fact that they're a wholly owned subsidiary of Pacific Link 
they've got some exclusive partnerships with, and Pacific Link is an example. So if a landlord walks into Key2 Realty and says, oh, I'd like to rent out my property or I've been struggling to rent out my property, it's been sitting vacant. Key2 can absolutely rent it out and list it on realestate.com and find a private tenant. But there's also other options that Key2 have available for the landlord um, if they so desire, and that might be a head lease to Pacific Link. It also might be um, through other partnerships that Key2 now has, and it might be um, head leasing or directly leasing um, and be enabled through a disability service provider um, who, who those providers really find it hard um, because they're usually fairly small in size um, to head lease properties or to, to assist and work with the landlord in terms of timings to move in their tenants and help them through that process. Um, I see that as a, as a fantastic advantage to to landlords, and I can't I can't imagine why uh, you're you're this is this is not ten times bigger than it actually is at the moment. Though I'm sure you're you're growing. Is there a is there a barrier to more landlords taking this up, or has it just really come down to the ability to market this service when you are a charity? Yeah, so it's been. Um, it's it's had fantastic growth and it's grown from zero properties under management. So there was no rent roll purchased or anything like that. And it's grown to 160 properties under management in the space of uh, 12 to 18 months. And nice. the guys in there tell me that um, if it was any other agency, they'd be up for real estate agent of the year with that sort of growth. Um, yeah. uh, and, and part of that. You're right. You're, you're surprised why it's not bigger than what it is um, because it's got that feel-good factor. Um, landlords, they can feel good that um, simply by the choice they've made in the property manager, um, you know, instead of resenting that property manager that drives off in the Mercedes-Benz, they, they know that um, the, the profits aren't going to a Mercedes-Benz. They're going to great programs. Um, but we, it has been hard um, starting a, a real estate agency with an unrecognisable brand, with a, a message that is brand new and a bit confusing to the market. Um, um, that has been challenging, as has the fact that um, there's very limited marketing budget. So it's it's been trading off word of mouth um, somewhat. Um, so the 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 awareness and and that it that it actually exists yeah that's that's certainly been a barrier um we've got limited marketing budgets um obviously um and and uh the i guess another another barrier that we have faced but we're certainly seeing that change is um initially landlords would say you know great great concept love it would love to come back on, on board um but i just want to i don't want to just dive in you, you're brand new i'll come back in a year's time which yeah. is understandable because they're managing somebody's you know a very important very large asset um, of course, but and then, these guys have also got the pro background as well. I remember you you chatting to me about the the team that you've got there have actually come from, uh, from from you know more traditional established agencies. That's right. 
Um, so the, that tide is changing and we're able to say, look, you know, um, there's 160 properties that we manage. We're not going anywhere now. Um, we are established and um, that's making those conversations easier. Uh, is, is this sort of business something that other housing providers have across the country or is this a little bit unique to, to your business and the and the Central Coast? It's It's... Absolutely unique to the Central Coast and our region generally. Um, There are a couple of housing providers across the country that um, have created them. Um, So I I know, for example, there's there's one or two in Sydney, there's one or two in Melbourne, um, there's one or two in Brisbane and the Sunshine Coast. Um, That's that's about it. Um, in terms of landlords nationally having that option and wanting to choose uh, a social enterprise real estate agency. Um, so it is new. Um, I think there's going to be more of them popping up around the place, just like we see, you know, uh, social enterprise coffee shops popping up um, that either create training grounds for for vulnerable people or or are owned uh, underneath the covers are actually owned by a charity and the profits go to a charitable cause. Love it. I want to ask you about the development side of things. So you guys actually do property developments yourself, not just doing sort of joint venturing arrangements with other developers. You're developing the the properties yourself. As an accountant, you must be pretty handy with the due diligence side of the, the development. What are some of the key considerations that, that you make that you think investors that are listening could, could take away from your experience in these projects? I think um, the due, due diligence aspect um, is hugely important. Um, I also think the temptation and I guess the fashion to flip properties I think is probably not all it's built up to be um, because of the the costs of transacting property and the selling costs uh, are huge Um, and I think and, and for example, at, at Pacific Link, we were contemplating selling some um, units within a development that we completed. But the combination, and, and especially in these times of low cost finance um, and the benefits that can bring versus the cost of selling property and um, the tax uh, that is paid, it really whittles away that property and I think it's tempting and people sort of glaze over the fact they might think you know what I bought bought this property for $300,000 a couple of years ago I think it's worth 360,000 now great I'm going to make 60 grand profit but that's not the case there's selling agents fees um, capital gains tax um, legals there's all those sorts of things and that that scenario is probably going to be a break-even scenario it's it's not a 60 grand profit yeah and there's so much risk involved in in something that could potentially be a a break-even scenario that it's it's definitely not worth it 
Now, Ian, with most of the guests, I would maybe even say all of them here on Geared for Growth, they have a for-profit business and I make sure that they don't do anything naughty like plugging their services too hard. For yourself, it's open slather. I'm happy to give any charity uh, open forum to, to make their sales pitch. Is there anything else that we should know about uh, Pacific Link or Key2 or what you do? Uh, so... Firstly, thank you for that. Um, it's really great to have this opportunity. Um, so I, I guess it's a case of just re-emphasising the fact that Key to Realty gives landlords the opportunity to give back to the community simply by making the choice of who your property manager is going to be. Um, and there's information on the website about those programs and, and we, we are striving to get better at um, telling those stories and displaying those outcomes. Um, and, and don't be scared of it. Um, it, it you know, it's a valid um, licensed real estate agency. It's a standalone entity. Um, there's qualified and experienced professionals from the real estate sector within it. Um, it could be any residential property in the region. It could be the penthouse out at Terrigal. It could be, um, you know, some three-bedroom shack in suburbia. Um, the guys uh, know what they're doing and will be able to find a solution um, for any residential landlord. Um, and, and ideally, it's it's... It will grow that rent roll that will be full of private market, private tenant um, properties rather because obviously there's limited quotas and limited numbers that the likes of Pacific Link and other disability service organisations can head lease. Um, and if we can get that word of mouth happening, um, so if anyone is listening and, and would love it if uh, you would tell a friend um, who owns an investment property, um, you know, that's what it's all about from our point of view. And if people are wanting to have a chat to you either from the development side or the, the key to team as a as a private landlord, what's the best way to do that? Uh, best way is the, the contact details are on the websites. So um, key2realty, which is key and it's number two, realty, uh, .com.au, um, Pacific Link Housing is... Um, I mean, if you just Google either one of those companies, um, they will come up. Contact details are on the websites. There's also um, um, the entities are on the social media channels. Um, and, and, yeah, get get in touch, happy to talk, happy to have a conversation. Um, and, and, yeah, particularly public-facing for, for Key 2 Realty and, and residential landlords. Beautiful. <laughs> Now, if there's one piece of advice that you could give to property investors, what would that be, Ian? So I thought you might ask this listening to previous podcasts and okay. <laughs> I, I instead um, came up with a quote that I quite like and thought I'd share, um, which is very short and very simple, Um but it obviously fits with who we are and what we do um, and the fact that the, the community aspect and, and you know, in, in, the, in these times in particular that we're all in this together. 
Um, so the, the quote is that the only time you should ever look down on someone is when you're helping them up. Um, and that's, that's really important for, I think, people who are privileged enough to, to own an investment property. Um, you know, open up your heart and your mind to, to circumstances and, and appreciate the different opportunities people have had in their lives. And, um, yeah, just don't look down on people. I love it. Uh, I think that's great advice and, and really, really important. And, and of course, to, to understand that as investors, we are very, very privileged. And with a couple of tweaks in different variables, we could all be in very, very different situations. So it's been a pleasure to, to chat with you, uh, Ian. So thank you very much for, for being a guest. Yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for having me. Anytime. Cheers. Thanks.